And we're live. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as our podcast audience, which you can download the podcast if you're interested at uh, uh, greenmajority.ca. I almost forgot the website. Yeah, well done. That was, that was impressive. Yeah, I got distracted at the last minute. I'm in studio. <laughs> uh, I'm in studio with Stefan and Dave uh, Hostetter. Uh, no morning. relation? No relation. Relation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And I think we're talking about, um, I had like a two-line comment last week about uh, Scott Pruitt. Uh, We're going to expand on that now that there's actually details because that was breaking news at the time. Yeah. Uh, We've got some uh, some more California news. I'm really interested in the California stuff. I think that's what I'm most interested to talk about. But that's not where we're starting. Do you want to tell us where we're starting? Yeah. We're going to start with Pruitt. uh, And then I think we're going to go to, uh, we're going to do an interesting combination of Saskatchewan and California in the middle section. uh, And then also probably cover a, a a bit of uh, so wouldn't cover the greyhound in the in the third section as long as, as well as some some algae. Uh, every once I feel like every once in a while we end up with algae in the in, in the news stories. We're kind of impressively consistently talking about algae at some point. One of the most gorgeous forms of environmental uh, degradation. Yes, mm. um, yeah. So we'll, the algae, we're going to finish the show with the with with super fun algae blooms uh, because you know like again it's sort of like I feel like it's gut bacteria. And algae blooms are the thing the show comes back to like once a year for some reason. Gut bacteria. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Usually it's with Dr. Jennifer Gardy, exactly, who is our science host. We'll have to get her on this uh, on another show. Yeah, exactly. That was the woman studying human feces. Yes. Uh, in, in the stomach, hosting yeah. the show uh, full of <laughs> other scientists who were specializing in human feces. Yes, uh, uh, but yes, and then we are. But uh, but we're going to start off with Scott Pruitt. So uh, Dave, take us away. Yes, thank you, Stefan. Scott Pruitt has stepped down from his position as the Chief Administrator for the United States Environmental Protection Agency after numerous scandals involving, among other things, moisturizer and soundproof phone booths probably not used at the same time. It was the absurdity of his tastes that brought his potentially illegal spending habits to widespread attention, but the anti-environmental nature of his policy is the true problem, as pointed out by former EPA officials Chris Zerba and Mustafa Ali. Ali told Democracy Now! that Scott Pruitt, who has ties to big oil companies, did not understand that his job was to protect the public, and Chris Zerba outlined two technical changes that Pruitt introduced at the EPA. One, he disqualified many nationally respected publicly funded scientists and favored instead their industry counterparts, and he introduced policy aimed at transparency in regulatory science. This latter proposal is an attempt to discredit a large portion of data that helps scientists determine the risk levels of environmental contaminants by preventing the EPA from using data acquired through confidentiality agreements with victims of environmental contamination. This is a signal of the EPA's general abandonment of science as a method of knowing. The policy was crafted in part by former tobacco lobbyist Steve Malloy, who had previously tried to convince people that cigarettes were not unhealthy. Pruitt's replacement, Mr. Andrew Wheeler, also has close ties to the fossil fuel industry uh, and has for decades worked against environmental regulation and is a denier of the findings of climate science, But he did say recently that he has, quote, always deferred to career scientists. Uh, I will now, for the both of you and for the benefit of our listeners, read the entire text of Scott Pruitt's resignation letter to Donald Trump uh, to get a sense of the tenor of this man's loyalty. Mr. President, it has been an honor to serve you in the cabinet as administrator of the EPA. 
truly, your confidence in me has blessed me personally and enabled me to advance your agenda beyond what anyone anticipated at the beginning of your administration. Your courage, steadfastness, and resolute commitment to get results for the American people, both with regard to improved environmental outcomes as well as historical regulatory reform, is in fact occurring at an unprecedented pace, and I thank you for the opportunity to serve you and the American people in helping achieve those ends. That is why it is hard for me to advise you I am stepping down as administrator of the EPA effective as of July 6th. It is extremely difficult for me to cease serving you in this role because I count it a blessing to be serving you in any capacity, but also because of the transformative work that is occurring. However, the unrelenting attacks on me personally and my family are unprecedented and have taken a sizable toll on all of us. My desire in service to you has always been to bless you and uh, to bless you as you make important decisions for the American people. I believe you are serving as president today because of God's providence. I believe that same providence brought me into your service. I pray as I have served you that I have blessed you and enabled you to effectively lead the American people. Thank you again, Mr. President, for the honor of serving you, and I wish you Godspeed in all that you put your hand to. Your faithful friend, Scott Pruitt. All right, two, two comments about that. <clears throat> first of all, for the listeners who are just hearing that for the first time, it's only slightly less creepy without Dave reading it. <laughs> Read it for yourself. It's, it's like basically 98% as creepy. Yeah, there's slightly less emphasis on you. Right. <laughs> he says you so many times, you have to emphasize it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only no, way to read it. Was a, I was yeah. not criticizing the read, Dave. It was a great read. <laughs> what I'm saying is you only added the most modicum of creepiness. Yeah. <laughs> it is inherently creepy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the other thing I want to make, and this is a total segue, I'm mm or a total like side point but it nothing confuses me more because like of course as a general consumer of media uh, we all know about the war on Christmas and all this sort of fake nonsense that mm -hmm. that supposedly religious people get up to. I'm non-religious. This is not a show about religion. We're not getting into that. Yeah. But just as far as the sake of this conversation, I am a non-religious person, mm -hmm. which is why it surprises me so much that people who are religious, who I have no problem with inherently, mm -hmm. um, don't seem to mind or don't throw a stink about how much like, you know, someone didn't say, said uh, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas mm. and they flip their lid. But where are all those people when somebody goes out and is like, I'm going to uh, destroy the earth for all future generation, God's creation. I'm tearing it up so that billionaires can put another layer of gold on their bathtub. <laughs> Where are those people? And I'm not trying to be silly. This mm. is a serious question, right? Like there's a lot of outrage about people's religion. And yet when somebody uses it to cover up for actually harmful hideousness, actually harmful hideousness, not one of these religious people, where are you? So that's my well, thing those... for the moment. We're not arguing about religion yeah. today. But if you are a religious person, especially if you're a Christian, where are you on this stuff? Well, I, I would argue that a, a vast percentage of the reason why you hear the war on Christmas is because Fox News uses it as a, as a bludgeon against the left versus the set of these people who don't fit their narrative. Right. I'm just asking those people to be ideologically consistent. <laughs> well, because it is a, you, you want saying Fox God news in to a be, Well, Fox News is ideologically consistent. Uh, <laughs> so, so, but saying it like, the, if someone says my problem here, but the point I'm trying to make is that if somebody inserts the word God or faith into a conversation, suddenly nobody's allowed to criticize them. But we ha that has to end, and the people who have to end it are the genuinely faithful calling out <laughs> frauds like Scott Pruitt who are using their religion as a shield for, for hideousness. I'm not saying nobody does, but compared to the outrage in other areas against like liberal things where people say, well, you well, can't have that because my religion, it's used as a shield. 
great. Well, that yes. conversation is a conversation for a different show. But as it applies to here, this can't stand. Well, for sure. And, and, and the folks who believe in that stuff need to be the first but, in line to call it in. But I think it's very similar to to the concept mm -hmm. of civility and and the way that the the right has a conversation has the has a control over how it talks. Like uh, I, I'm going to segue into that to the National Review. Because uh, the National Review is, uh, I think it's, it's, the NRO is, uh, is like one of the preeminent American uh, conservative uh, articles. And they are, and, and their sort of, their experience with Scott Pruitt is, is, is quite fascinating. Because it, 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 I think it, it very significantly sort of shows what happens, which is that when Pruitt was elected, there was an article uh, from from the NRO about how everyone was being uh, totally unreasonable about about Pruitt and how he was going to be terrible, uh, and how the one thing they definitely had here was a man of character. In Pruitt. In Pruitt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and then and then when he and then a year and a half later, when he resigns after a just unbelievable number of scandals. Uh, they flipped their script to saying Pruitt, yeah, yeah, Scott Pruitt had to go, but no, but not deregulation. And so I think it comes. So this is a very similar thing. Right? This is this is basically just the, and it is it is it is the way that the conservative media has completely failed to hold their own to account. Uh, and I think it, it and and it's you see it with you see it especially with 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 places like the National Review and it's weird like it has a few no anti a few people who sort of spoken about Trump but still has really is still basically providing sort of the the cover of civility to these uh, to these people who are just straight up stealing and robbing from the system. Meanwhile, the man's groveling at the throne of the Donald Trump. Well, exactly, right? Like, like there's... Unabashedly. Unabashedly, yeah. Like, this, like, this, the article, like, the, I saw a comment really about, about this. It looks like a letter written to a king. You know, like it looks oh, yeah. like, like in two, it, it does prove if that you Scott added Pruitt, some yees and thous. Like mm. Scott Pruitt has clearly figured out how to speak to Donald Trump. <laughs> like, like he, I, like I my guess is this is how he spoke all the time, mm. and he clearly has figured out by doing this he can get himself such a long rope that he managed to what spend seventy thousand dollars on a bulletproof desk, uh, and and continue on serving. Well, you remember that meeting? It was the audio from like a year ago where they held a press conference, and uh, I don't think Pruitt was there, uh, but it was Pence and a bunch of other cabinet, a bunch of people who are now arrested and convicted <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and it was basically a thirty-minute press conference of them going around saying similar things to him, like it's oh yeah, yeah, super creepy, super dark sycophantism. Yeah, uh, and so I and so and so I yeah. think that's so I think that's a that's an important takeaway. Um, and I the other one of the points I made before, so sort of moving on to sort of his replacement, is it really was that woman in the restaurant. Uh, I think it was her that did it to him. Well, it, the, the, the answer at the end, it's taken such a personal toll on me and my family, mm. which makes me think that like this man would have done this forever if society hadn't made it be annoying to him to be in real life. Mm. Like, so for those who don't know, a woman and her child uh, came up to Scott Pruitt in a restaurant and basically gave him a hard time for being awful. Told him to resign. Told him to resign. Told him to resign to his yeah. face multiple yeah. times. She was surprisingly polite about it. Yeah. And, and, and like a week later, he did. Yeah. Like this is yeah. this is after this is after like. Can we hire that lady to go talk to Donald Trump? Yeah. Let's just send her to every single person. Like every person in the Trump administration, send this woman. Explain she can talk to them while they resign. They'll resign a week later. Um. And but I do think this has to do with it shows the power of sort of civil society society's ability to 
to fight back against against this kind of thing. You know, it is it is it is the mo- these types of things where you know you get to the point where where if they are personally sort of like made to be uncomfortable. That's a problem. The problem right now is that like everyone is able to do all these things which make a ton of people uncomfortable. Uh, you know, whether it's you know separating children or the border uh, or deregulating literally all of the EPA. Although a lot uh, Scott Pruitt wasn't the most successful at that because he kept doing it in ways that had court challenges. But still like the attempt these attempts to sort of remove these protections for for America's most vulnerable and and continue doing whatever else they like. And it's interesting to watch civil society start saying, actually, no. Like, if you're going to make our lives difficult, then we are going to make your lives difficult. You know, there's a story recently about how after Stephen Miller ordered $80 worth of sushi, uh, the, the, the owner of the, of the sushi bar went outside and gave him the finger. And so he threw out the sushi, which, again, is like kind of weird on his part. He already the, had the, the sushi. That, there's, a, there's another detail there that I think is very that worth mentioning as well. It wasn't just an order of sushi. It was $80 worth of sushi. It's a lot of sushi. For just himself. Yeah. And part of that, the reason I'm pointing that out is that it's like it's done another layer to that privilege, which right. is that he doesn't recognize that a very small portion of the society can go out and spend nearly $100 on takeout food for themselves on a whim and and then afford to throw it out in protest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That in and of itself mm-hmm. demonstrates yeah. part of the problem that people are angry about. Not directly, but indirectly. Well, yeah. The, the, the massive wealth inequality. Yeah. And so, and so I think it's fascinating to watch civil society sort of start making it difficult for people doing these terrible things. Um, but to, to to sort of jump further onto uh, onto his replacement, who is sort of like, I want to say, like what's interesting about Scott Pruitt is as I totally figured he wasn't going to be as corrupt as he was. I really didn't. I, I sort of figured he was just going to be like, you know, who's going to do all the deregulation stuff, but was going to be a relatively regular bureaucrat. The way I've put it on on the previous show that you weren't here was that it's not so much that he's more or less corrupt than we thought; it's that he was more cartoonishly corrupt. Yeah, like it's like he was like the Sunday morning cartoon villain version of a corrupt politician. Well, yeah, like he did like some of the things he did were like made made headlines specifically because they were so weird. Yeah, like at one point he, uh, be, I think before. Before the transition, I could be wrong. It might have been after, but I think during the transition, um, or during around around those times, he had his staff put his uh, his hotel rooms on their credit cards and then refused to pay them back. Wow. Like, it's just like, a terrible person. Well, like, you're the head of the EPA. Like, right. like this is an absolutely bonkers way of 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 existing as as a person like this, and 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 like it's not like you know it's it's not like these things are necessary. Like these things are obviously incredibly corrupt, but like also just confusingly dickish. But anyways, so, but so the point is that the new guy um, does, you know, is I believe used to work for the fossil fuel industry. Uh, and so I wouldn't say we're, we're out expecting that we're going to like get a significant shift of course. Um, arguably, we might get, unfortunately, you might get a slightly more competent shift of course, uh, or, or a more competent person leading this thing, uh, meaning that they might actually be more effective in their, uh, in their removal. Of these regulations, um, but I don't. But I would sort of. I, I wouldn't. I don't. Like it's. It's weird to sort of celebrate the the the. It is good that I think that you know that there's sort of this turnover and sort of every time the some version of the rule of law does show up. You know, and Scott Pruitt is still being investigated. He still might end up in jail uh, for some of the some of the things that he's done. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not super confident that we're going to see like a, a, like no one is going to start putting back the regulations that were in place. Uh, and so I'm not entirely confident that we're really going to experience a, a big shift 
in 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 sort of Trump policy or anything with this. No, the, the guy. I'm, I I could I could be mistaken. I I'm, I'll look it up after after the break mm. and double check. But I'm quite certain that the company that the uh, executive uh, that is replacing Pruitt is. F- somebody who was a lobbyist for the company that he was renting that apartment from. So it's not even like a random other lobbyist. It was like, you're just cutting out the middleman. Well, he was his you're literally chief, hired right? the guy. <laughs> you're hiring the guy or his equivalent hmm. of the person that this person was in trouble for being corrupt to, even though that's not the reason officially that they were gone. Hmm. Is it like, you're literally, that's what I said last week is you're literally just cutting out the middleman. Yeah. Well, he, he literally, <laughs> yeah, he, he literally, um, Represented a coal magnate uh, named Robert E. Murray when he's lobbying the bomb industry against the bomb industry's environmental regulations. Uh, so, yeah, we're not. Well, yeah. The New Yorker had an interesting point, which was that Jim Bridenstine is capable of being sort of uh, Im- personally embarrassed into accepting. Uh, scientific findings. Right. So he waltzes into the NASA as a as a climate denier, and he and then he, everyone's looking at him. They said uh, like he's the least knowledgeable person in the room, which mm. of course he is. Right. But the fact that he can recognize that and then become personally embarrassed by it in order to publicly change his stance on climate change, it's conceivable that a man like uh, uh, Andrew Wheeler could walk into the place, realize that everybody recognizes that he's uh, sort of doing the opposite of what their job is supposed to be. Right. And gets shamed into doing something perhaps not as bad. Well, you, you do think that like, what's weird about this is that there is a there's a version of just actually running the EPA, like c- continuing the relative laws that currently exist and actually sort of effective management, mm. which has been almost obviously entirely abandoned by the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. You know, a, 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 with, with, so, so all of the work that, that the, everyone else was doing was about, de- was about dis- slowly dismantling and deregulating these, these pieces. Mm-hmm. And so there is a level of which you could, yes, continue on a sort of path towards deregulation, but at least effectively manage the org- you know, what is currently happening. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and so it is, it, it is interesting when, and it's so rare, it's, it's, it's depressing that this is rare enough to, uh, to have to mention, but it is, it is possible that some of these conservatives can have a level of backbone uh, that they were actually able to at least yeah, or in some shame, way, or shame, or like yeah, <laughs> like to be able to sort of be like, if I'm going to do this job, I'm going to try to do it well. You know, I think mm-hmm. Tillerson is an example of someone who, mm-hmm. who, who, mm-hmm. while every, like, I cannot believe I'm ever on the show saying anything positive about Rex Tillerson. Mm-hmm. But I do firmly believe that Rex Tillerson, the former Secretary of State for the United States, truly tr- wanted to do his job decently. Mm-hmm. And then was so frustrated by his experiences with Trump that he that he that he made his exit. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go back to. Yeah. I guess we're, we're going to go to break soon. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back to Saren's point about the Christians. I believe that. Uh, and I don't think it's even a controversial statement that a large portion of influential American Christians don't care about the environment because they literally view uh, the apocalypse to be imminent. And they view, they view the, uh, what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening with Trump's decision with moving the uh, embassy to Jerusalem and, and, uh, and uh, Jewish people acquiring an actual state. They view all these things as leading towards an inevitable apocalypse in mm-hmm. which the earth will no longer matter in which uh, sinners will disappear and, uh, you know, the rapture, the, the Christians mm-hmm. will go up to heaven. 
And therefore, we don't need to worry about the future of the planet, literally, because it's imminent. So there's, yeah. a, there's, there's a f- that one. There's also the dominionists who just think that the interpretation of there's a line in the Bible somewhere. And we're sorry for yeah. harping on Christians here, mm. but North America, it's you know largely relevant in politics because most politicians are Christian. Mm. Uh, was the idea? So one of them is the disaster. Is the you know the end of times is about to come. So we're just sort of wiping our feet here before the mm. end comes. Those folks are super dangerous. Uh, there's another group of folks who just are believe in dominionism, which is that there's a line in the Bible that talks about caring for God's creation. And they reinterpret that very specific commandment to take care of the earth mm. as God gave us the earth and we get to do whatever we want with it. And so mm. there's people, uh, there's there's some very influential and very powerful uh, uh, gr- blocks of Christian lawmakers in the United States uh, who are part of a, a group of dominionists who mm. literally think the earth is here for us to consume. That is, mm-hmm. we are doing God's work by ripping up the earth and consuming oil and that's why it's here. Um, and, uh, it's gross and, and whatnot, but we're not, you know, it's not a religion show, so we can't get into the semantics of that. But if you're someone who wasn't aware that there's people who literally large segments of, of people everywhere, but particularly with access to power in the United States who literally hold those beliefs. And I believe them that they believe that because they actually act on it. So I think, I mean, I think that's all we'll say today for today about religion, but it's, it's an important topic and the one that we we can't shy away from either. Let's see if we can get it and weasel its way into the story with Saskatchewan. I don't think it's going to work. All right. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to our, our music break. Megan, what do we got? All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 9.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners across the country and into the world and the universe, uh, including the Americans uh, as well, uh, and our podcast audience, which you can uh, check out the podcast if we uh, we do try, but if we speak too fast, you need to rehear something or you want to see the notes, both the uh, audio copy and notes on every episode is available at greenmajority.ca. We're going to pick back up with, uh, we uh, segued there into some seemingly off-topic stuff, a lot of American news and uh, some religion conversation. We will come back now. It's to... not off topic when a man like Scott Pruitt pens that letter. <laughs> it's just off the normal uh, comfort zone of this particular yes. program. <laughs> um, uh, I will talk about anything, as you know. Um, but we're going to come back. We're coming back. We're bringing it home. Stefan, I believe we're coming back to Saskatchewan, our dear friends. Yes, yes. Only yeah for a, a brief, small little weather update and then sort of an expansion on that mm-hmm. uh, and then looping back. So we'll start there. From the Weather Network. Saskatchewan has recently had eight tornadoes in two days, which is close to their previously recorded yearly totals. And the multi-day severe storm threat is uh, continuing Hmm. into today. Yes. So... This is a, obviously a very, very brief, uh, brief, brief conversation. Uh, but the the point of this is more as an introduction to to the fact that, like, again, you can never say any specific piece of weather is being caused by climate change. Uh, that is a thing we have to say every week on the show because, in the same way that you can't say any particular home run hit by some juicing home run hitter is caused by steroids. Is yes. caused by steroids. Barry Bonds uh, <laughs> was still one of the greatest. Yes, well done. Thank you for the, for the baseball <laughs> reference. Uh, no, Barry Bonds was still one of the greatest baseball players ever, regardless of whether or not he also was definitely on steroids. <laughs> uh, but uh, but the point is that when you're on steroids, uh, you hit a lot more home runs um and and some of those home runs in this context are tornadoes um but anyways so 
the point here is that like this is obviously not good. Uh, we wish Saskatchewan uh, all the safety in the world. Uh, but if I was in Saskatchewan and say wanted my government to do something about impending tornadoes, uh, I might suggest that they get their premier Brad Wall on side of of joining maybe this idea of that climate change exists and that we should be trying to fight it uh, because. We have uh, because we are coming up towards a premier's meeting uh, in which in which Bradwall or now which is sorry Bradwall left I forgot uh, it is now premier Scott Mo Scott Mo uh, apologies to Saskatchewan I, I, for, I missed your missed your leadership change uh, however Probably just so he can run for for prime minister but anyway. yeah yeah so so premier Scott Mo has uh, has now uh, has has now joined uh, is, is still 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 con- convinced that they're going to fight the uh, the the work here uh, but uh, he's going into the Finnish leadership with uh, with knowing that now Doug Ford is also going to fight it. PEI has now also said Wait, that who's going into the provincial leadership? Uh, sorry, not provincial leadership. Sorry, the the premier's meeting. Oh, There's premier's a premier's meeting, meeting. coming up. Coming. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the three of them are all coming in uh, to to basically try to convince or really obviously stamp their feet and say no because that's Doug Ford. Well, Scott Mo now. Oh, Scott, uh, uh, Scott Mo, uh, Doug Ford, and also uh, and also the P the head of the premier of PEI or okay. PEI. Uh, there's a possibility that they might be also joined by new uh, by some other ones, but those are the three that are sort of publicly stating that they're against it. They're trying to reject Trudeau's climate uh, the price on carbon price yeah. on carbon yeah, carbon tax. Yeah. Uh, now again, pretty it seems pretty relatively clear that that that's not going to that a Price on carbon is, or a carbon tax is certainly within the federal jurisdiction, but they're going to spend a whole bunch of money anyways to try to fight it. Uh, but what's important to note here is that uh, a uh, that if I was Saskatchewan, I might I might want to consider you know fighting the person who's trying to trying to increase the number of tornadoes that are near space. Uh, but more specifically, actually talk about how the the amount of money that is going to be spent fighting this price on carbon. Uh, by these three provinces, and then of course also by the by the by the federal government, could be spent on many other things, uh, and 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 also the fact that right now uh, the the two two of the uh, two of the places with still a price on carbon, Alberta being one of them. Let's not run, not so here. Alberta has a price on carbon and is successfully still being a oil province, uh, which is basically Saskatchewan's argument against it. Um, and and both Alberta and BC are leading the provinces in growth. Uh, despite both having, uh, or, or, or despite both having a price on carbon, and and furthermore, uh, a the the perhaps the one of the one of the places that uh, that is this that Ontario just left a case a California who has a has not only just a price on carbon but a quote you know as as Doug Ford would always say a job killing you know job killing carbon tax despite that it's a cap and trade system because he doesn't understand the difference um, or refuses to understand the difference maybe more accurate uh, but he but California is also booming it it just became the fifth largest economy in the world just California wow. uh, and and has a price on carbon which which was a part of the market that Ontario and Quebec were a part of all three were a part of the same market and yet it is still growing at an incredible rate and so like the idea that uh that you can't have a price on carbon and not a growing economy seems to be counterintuitive to the fact that the the places that currently have a price on carbon are currently doing better than the places that don't and and so that has to be said because there's a conversation always about how you know about the concept between uh between you know the, whether or not the economy and the environment can go side and side. And what's most important here is that this isn't just sort of like 
often when we talk about prices on carbon and, and whether or not there's a sort of a the idea that these differences, you could have a price on carbon and still be admitting more fossil fuels. Uh, in fact, I would not be surprised to find out if Alberta is still slowly increasing its emissions uh, despite having a price on carbon. And so, and so it, while it has a price on carbon, it's not necessarily the most effective argument about how you wouldn't necessarily need to keep increasing fossil fuel use to, to, or, or, or GHG emissions to match GDP growth. However, California is a very different story. Uh, because California just, just is the is the good news bringer of the of the day, uh, and so Dave, they they recently hit something a a a a, a goal a little early, milestone? which is a, a milestone. There we go. So looking for what is mm. uh, So Dave, what is what has California just done? The Golden State of California has already hit its 2020 greenhouse gas reduction target, with its carbon emissions falling and its economy growing. Its emissions are now just below 1990 levels, but the measurements do not take into account the carbon dioxide released from wildfires, and estimates of methane emissions may be well below actual figures. Cutting emissions from power plants has been very successful, while cutting emissions from cars and other transportation has not. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor who signed the law in 2006 that required California to meet the target, and he recently stated... Surpassing our 2020 emissions goal ahead of schedule while our economy grows by a nation-leading 4.9% and our unemployment rate is at a historic low should send a message to politicians all over the country. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, just copy us. He added, business will boom and lives will be saved. I did not try to do my Schwarzenegger impression. <laughs> I thought of doing it. I decided not to do it. That's fair. Solar energy grew by 33% in 2016, while hydro grew by uh, 39%, and electricity from natural gas fell 15%. The hydro was able to grow because rains started to fall again in California. <clears throat> uh, there is now so much solar energy generated in the state that it often runs at a surplus midday. Deeper cuts and more aggressive action will be needed to meet the state-mandated target for 2030, which will require the state to drop another 40% of its current emissions and then another 80% from 1990 levels by 2050. Fran Pavley, the former Californian government official who wrote Schwarzenegger's 2006 climate directive, said that she is confident California will meet its 2030 target, and she stated, quote, if you're thoughtful enough to give the private sector and the innovators enough time to meet the targets, it's actually quite remarkable what they can do. Thank you. I, and I, I think that, so, A, uh, we did copy California here in Ontario. Uh, we did exactly what they did. Mm. And then Doug Ford, two years later, decided to spend probably well over a billion dollars to undo that. Mm. Uh, or will be in a nice little bit. So, thanks. Thanks for that, Doug Ford. One one thing that really jumped out at me from the very beginning was you said the word a uh, 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 word that I, I barely recognized because it's been so long since I'd heard it, uh, which was the well the phrase really uh, 1990 levels mm. yeah um, would because uh, you know politicians all over the world including in Canada uh, regardless of what party uh, have been protesting and revising those years for years since the mm. 90s um, to not literally since the 90s but. Yeah. Um, to try and make it easier to lower that ramp. Well, no, let's go, let's do it, but we're going to change the base year to 2007. It's only 17 years difference. Mm -hmm. And they, so they kept minimizing that and then couldn't even reach that. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, look, turns out California just did it. Well, and mm -hmm. while we've been here 
you know, playing with the sand, yeah. all the, the pain is now over. There was a pain part and there will be some growing pains as things change. This is, all, this is the case whether you, whether you pursue climate change policies or not. Mm-hmm. The economy does that. Yeah. Uh, you're just controlling the direction it's going. And, and, and it, was, it could have been done. And if we'd gone a little bit farther, and it, frankly, it had been uh, marketed better, as in it had been explained better to people in Ontario, we mm-hmm. would very soon have been through the pain period here as well. And, and there could have been some supports to better support people. And, and I'm not saying that the way that Catherine Wynne, did, the government did it was was best, uh, but it was certainly needed. And uh, it was certainly better than what is being done now. Well, I want to I want to point out that basically what in part what what's happening here is a battle of what the econ- what tr- Ontario's economy will be of the future. And the options are really between uh, the sort of what we see with you know with with California's current economy, which is which is tech heavy and that has its own problems, but uh, but is, is is tech heavy and and has and has a set of um, you know it is well matched actually to to sort of what we're seeing now with the wind with Windsor and in some in some of the other areas in in, in Toronto. What's uh, happening in Windsor? Well, not sorry, Windsor might be the wrong place, but there's a, there's a there's a there's a good part of the of, of the University Belt in Ontario that is becoming a, a quite a tech heavy place. Oh. Uh, in, in growing up, Waterloo, Waterloo is the mm. is, a, is a tech center. Um, and and so and so we're seeing that, and you know the same thing you saw, you know Google, whether or not you have opinions about whether or not Google should be moving into Toronto, like they're obviously interested in moving in here mm. like a whole bunch of tech organizations were, were starting to see Toronto in this sort of belt from from Waterloo up to Toronto as a as a place where Silicon tech jobs north. could start exactly Silicon north where tech jobs could start really occurring mm. and and in and, and yet in, in sort of in defense of uh, and then Doug Ford's response to to sort of be like you know what actually and you know you, you saw green economy jobs coming here and, and stuff like that as well and and Doug Ford basically just threw all of that under the bus uh, instead, decided to decided to sort of go to, to literally actually with, within regards to sex ed, uh, go back to 1998. Wait, what did he throw under the bus? Uh, he threw under he's, so he's well he's thrown under the the, the, the price on carbon, the, mm-hmm. the all of the green energy businesses that were sort of that were I building up. Ontario was open for business though. <laughs> Yeah, it's open. Well, exactly. That's what I was told. You're right. It's open for right. business unless you were really relying on the government following through on all the things it literally said it would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know the one thing that government leaders, or the business leaders, always say is, "I don't like uncert. I, I want uncertainty. Make it confusing and impossible to figure out what you guys are going right. to do any Can second. Can you change the rules that's, as often as possible? Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely what business community always asks for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to point out one thing that, like, so not only. It, did California manage to meet its nineteen like it's it's, it's under nineteen ninety levels of emissions? It did so during a time in which the average amount of money that someone in California made in nineteen ninety was twenty one thousand four hundred ninety four dollars. Mm. The average amount of money that someone makes now. So, in the, this, this is important to note that like at this point now we're actually looking at sim, the roughly the same per capita emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are now making approximately $58,000, a little over $58,000. Mm-hmm. So they have managed to more than double the per capita income of their state while, at a time when wage growth across, across North America is decreasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, while keeping their emissions the same. Was that just because certain tech people are making a ton of money? Well, I think just tech pays very well. Uh, I, I would say a lot of tech people are making a part of that is definitely yes. some displacement. And then there's absolutely. Yeah. Like, like certainly. There, but but what's happened is that the is that what the sort of the, the quote unquote good union jobs that used to exist uh, that that have been going away have been replaced in some ways by these the, the 
have been well that would exist in other places in places in the country have then been replaced by these sort of tech jobs instead. Yeah. So it certainly has to do largely with the booming tech sector. Uh, but, but but generally those people just to be clear about that yeah. point. So there has been some displacement, but the displacement displacement is generally not out of the state. And so when we're looking at the right. state's income, the inter the internal displacement doesn't affect the math. So was there displacement due to the high paying tech jobs? Are people being pushed out of places like San Francisco because oh, yeah. they can't afford to live there because all the properties are seven million dollars? Yes, but those people are not moving out of California. Right. And so it doesn't affect the numbers you're talking about. Well, I when, just wanted to make yeah, that clear. Yeah, yeah. Well, when also there's a point, the, the other important point thing here is that no matter what, what this shows is that you can have growth in personal income at the same time as decreasing energy, uh, decreasing uh per capita mm. um, emissions. Mm. Like, that's to me the thing. You here. can still grab all the stuff for yourself like, well, and still protect the environment. Well, <laughs> well, at the very least, they've shown, like, like what's interesting, of course, is that the, the, what they mentioned even in the study about that is they failed to get yet is personal vehicles. And the thing about what they've, what the, the probably the biggest complaint and the biggest failure about the displacement and everything else like that that's happening in California is the fact that they're refusing to densify their cities. Mm. And so you're driving two and three hours into yeah, communities. It's more expensive to drive. Well, exactly. Potentially. Uh, but but that's sort of the next, that's why the next phase, and that will segue very well actually into our, our into our first topic uh, of, of the third section, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is about, uh, in which we get into talking about, we'll go back to Saskatchewan, but this time about transit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's important to note that that's something that, that, like the thing here is that you can increase per capita income at the same time that you're increasing, you're decreasing, the, like you're vastly decreasing, or at least at this point stay the same. Uh, of, of of energy, and so this is like, and and it's it's and only increasing from here. So, basically, Doug Ford, what are you scared of? Uh, like, <laughs> let us let us have a price on carbon. Alberta and BC and California are all proving it can be done, and so these actions are unreasonable. And so just really quickly, just to, before we throw to our music here, um, the, 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 the sex ed thing is a really good example because like the thing is when you're talking about the details of climate change, it's really complicated. And so when you start talking about, well, yes, okay, you're going to pay a dollar more now, but it's going to save you $6 later. Like it's hard to, it's hard to put your hands on, right? It's the, the variables are messy. Um, so the sex ed thing is a great example of like, if there's someone who just happens to be listening to the program right now, who's like, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. Doug starts. He's very smart. He's he inherited a business. He's very smart. He, he knows what he's doing. You guys don't know. Okay. So let's talk about sex ed. Like the problem with a lot of these conservative people, uh, like the politicians, I'm not necessarily saying about the voters. I don't know, but the politicians we hear a lot from, so we know a lot about them and the, they like to pretend that they're smart, but they really can't. The problem is that they can't imagine past one variable. So Sex ed costs money. People don't like it. I'm going to save money by taking money out of sex ed. So then, well, so then, so then we're spending less money. But then they stop. They put their pencils down and they wipe their hands and say, "Math done." <laughs> no, when you have that, the more teen pregnancy is going to go up. More costs of as sexual health associated costs are going to go up. We live in a society that has socialized medicine to some degree. And so the cost to society will go up. It will go up more. So there is no metric by which well, this one Ford's is, math is smarter. Well, this one it's was it's not. simply a matter of not taking – like they, they can't take into account knockoff mm-hmm. effects. And so when they're telling you we're going to do this because it's going to save you money, not only is it wrong for environmental reasons, but it's also – this is my always right. my same point. It's also not financially smart. It's not actually – going to save you money but i'm pretty it's sure just hiding the costs in the future right but i'm pretty sure this particular case it has much more to do with 
with playing to social conservative base about how much they don't like a bunch of sets of people rather than trying to save money. Like, they, they also changed the math curriculum for the same reason. <laughs> they also canceled a math program because right. it was because it, of the cost. So right. it, the cost is a factor there. It, it, it makes it very easy to to get rid of programs when your base doesn't like them. Right. But I don't believe this is a personal opinion, mm. but I, do, I don't believe that that was canceled because it was red meat for the base. I think it was because he's desperate to find he said he was going to go line by line through the budget and find all these billions of dollars without cutting anything anyone's jobs and the only way he can do that he of course can't actually do that so he has to make sure that he only cuts things that the people that voted for him don't care about so i it, we're, we're agreeing on the reality i have a different right. story to tell behind the scenes that's all, right. all. but it is an opinion uh, <laughs> let's use that to go to break megan what is our second and final music break And welcome back to The Green Majority. This is Stefan Hosseter live in studio with Dave Hosseter and Saren Kester. Uh, you're listening to CIU 289.5 FM, or perhaps on one of our wonderfully appreciated radio syndicates, or perhaps on the podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. Uh, we're entering here in the last section uh, of a consistently meandering topic. Uh, it seems like we can't finish a, a segment without some topic that has nothing to do with the environment, but I have faith that we're going to get through this one because we've got transit and algae. So let's start with transit, Dave. What is up also another Saskatchewan news story. You think uh, this has nothing to do with the environment? Oh no, I totally think it has to do with the environment. Until uh, the end of the last segment. The last thing. Oh, the sex said. ed thing. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Well, the Christian thing has to do with the environment right. because if you spiritually believe that you're gonna just that you, it doesn't matter if you destroy the earth. That's right. an inherently environmental. Concern, okay. Fine. I think. All right. Anyway. Greyhound Canada has announced it will cancel almost all bus service in the western part of the country from Manitoba to BC. Uh, they have apparently lost 41% of their ridership since 2010. And the company attributes the downsize to declining ridership in rural communities, competition from subsidized transit, increased use of cars, and budget airlines. Sheila North, a candidate for chief of the Assembly of First Nations, cited high demand for transportation services in northern Canada, obviously suggesting that the uh, bus route should continue. And she said, quote, I think, it is I think this is abandoning the North, especially for those that live in poverty, but also who have medical needs and that need to get down to the South for resources that are not accessible in the North. Others point out that it will further isolate a lot of vulnerable people, especially those struggling with mental health, and that fleeing domestic violence in certain areas will become almost impossible. Yeah, so... This is a story that sort of first came out uh, as a, you know, first came out in, in for sort of for, with that sort of lens to it, the sort of concept that it's putting more vulnerable people, it, it makes more, the currently vulnerable populations even more vulnerable, uh, and, and, and that is obviously uh, incredibly important. I, I just, I, but I think that environmentalists can often start with the story and then just sort of poo-poo it uh, or sort of move on. Because they it. know buses pollute? Or? Well, yeah, exactly. That's just because, like, you know, because honestly, bus routes in northern Saskatchewan is a very unsexy topic. You know, like, isn't Bus it? roots in northern Saskatchewan. Just sounds good to say. How is well, that unsexy? Look, it's okay. Whether or not it sounds like an indie ba band <laughs> uh, does not necessarily change the fact that it's not, you know, it, it's not a pipeline. Uh, it is not sort of, it doesn't doesn't give you the same sort of rallying cry in the same mm -hmm. sort of way. And the and the solution to it is not as easy, right? You know, it's not so much like, you know, it's, it's not something where you can sort of come out and say, you know, stop the pipeline or something. However... I do think it's actually incredibly important when you think about the concept of 
imagining a future world in which we reduce emissions. Mm -hmm. Mass transit is an integral part of that. Mm-hmm. And if we slowly allow these bits of it that that sort of service the sets of people, this, these are the sets of people who shouldn't need to have to get a car, mm-hmm. uh, or at least shouldn't need to have to start try to be driving these long distances. Um, and and if we're and if the Canadian federal government sort of allows this to slip away, and allows it allows us to to totally just to basically just like either force people to get cars or f- trap people in in, in scenarios. Um, both of these options are, 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 are incredibly difficult and problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what they do is they sort of undermine people's experiences. Like, like what's, what's going to happen here is not just that the set of people who are living, uh, who are living currently in these scenarios won't be able to sort of get, get into place they want to be. It also means that everyone who's growing up in these areas will now grow up in an area that never had bus transportation. Mm-hmm. And so they will, be, they will understand a world where they must get a car. Or they and and it will only further further fetishize the neat necessity of personal transportation, mm-hmm. because it's failing to sort of gr- to, to have a larger vision of what a carbon zero world would look like. And a carbon zero world like has to have effective transit for everyone. You know, you're not. It's I, buses aren't the you know buses aren't buses aren't the subways 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 cry of Doug Ford, uh, but they are. But they are a, they are the way that most people use mass transit. Like a majority of mass transit mm-hmm. are buses. And and so unless there's a I think the federal government has a responsibility here to figure out what to do, because right now, as I said, I've said this a couple times on the show, one of the reasons why fossil fuel subsidies are so hard to get rid of is because the last remaining subsidies, a majority, a majority of last remaining subsidies are on airline travel. And so the last majority of subsidies are, are paying airline companies to make it cheaper so they can get cheaper oil. And if if that's the case there, then what you're doing now is you're sub. You've already they've already accepted that they're going to subsidize people who can afford to fly as travel, mm-hmm. and yet they're refusing to create a system in which people who live in these rural areas can can travel without having their own vehicle. Mm-hmm. And and like whether or not whether I I'm not saying just go and give Greyhound a bunch of money, uh, but I you know I certainly think that some version of of transportation has to exist. You know it, whether or not it's if it's cheaper to do it or if it's better to do it within the Canadian within a Canadian context, then that's fine. And and they all they're also they're giving Greyhound and these other things. Uh, um, like exclusive rights to particular avenues because mm. uh, of how it's regulated. And so they are basically, they're taking the places that make money and then they're dropping all the places that don't make money. It's, it's the same thing that happens within when you start thinking about privatizing uh, local mass transit, mm. which is that they basically will accept all the things that make money and reject all the things that don't. You're seeing the same thing within larger scale transit. Mm. And, 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 you know, the, obviously Greyhound itself does not necessarily, cannot be mandated to provide these bus routes. However, well, this they can't is, now. Well, like, like, like you, like, but you could, yeah, exactly. You could have made a deal at the time right, to yes. say we will do this on this and signed a contract, right. and it's, it yes. would be some form of a PPP, public-private partnership. Yes, blah, you blah, could blah, have for, blah, yeah, blah, blah, exactly. A short notice they gave. Apparently. Yeah, and and so I think that this, so I, I think that the, the question here that I would leave with with both the federal government and also with environmentalists is, which is that like, but specifically the federal government for this part, which is that if they are going to go out and subsidize the moving of oil. Uh, and there's a great article, National and Observer, actually. With oil. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, there's a great, argu- great e- article in National Observer from from Nora Loretto uh, about uh, titled "Why would would Canada rather move st- move steaming piles of bitumen or people?" The answer, hint, 
is steaming tile piles of bitumen. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's is, a derogatory term. <laughs> yes, it's insulting to the bitumen. Mm. Uh, but this is the this is the question here: is that like w- w- the Canadian government subsidizes so many pieces of 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 of, of online of of our our world, mm-hmm. and and it's but it's clearly not choosing not to at least currently do that for for these people who are being sort of left out in in literally the cold with no way to get around there's a there's a quote uh i'd much sure it's in this article but it, or maybe another one from national observer about from a woman who is in who is in i believe she's in on on vancouver island and her quote was literally well i guess i'll just see my family on facebook then because she just hadn't she was an elderly woman had no other way of transportation it was sort of like well i guess they've now trapped me here and and like this is like this is something that we have to pay attention to if we're gonna if we're going to get a world with zero emissions we have to find a way to provide everyone an opportunity to not need personal transportation via fossil fuel cars. Mm. It's and that's the kind of thing that when you put in a price on carbon, it's going to hurt the people who are already poor who need a car to, because you've now canceled the bus routes. Like right. this is what this is what you're doing, and so if if if. If Trudeau is as committed to a reducing com- emissions as he sort of claims to be, you know, despite the whole Kinder Morgan debacle, this is a kind of thing, a step you'd have to make to make it actually reasonable uh, for an everyday Canadian. And unless someone is going to argue that it is cheaper for 40 people to be in 40 cars and total up that cost or to have 40 people on one bus, then what you're admitting is you're not saving anyone any money. Oh, no. You're actually just forcing everyone to pay higher costs on their own. Like you're just pushing a cost... Mm-hmm. You're just taking you're taking a cost that could have been fifty dollars, making it a hundred dollars, and then saying fend for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like nobody, there's nobody who's benefiting. Like there's mm-hmm. no there's no poor person somewhere who's like, great, now I finally get my big break in life because they canceled that bus service. <laughs> oh yeah. There's, well, there's nobody. There's no winner no. here except for the private company. Well yeah, they're just yeah. They're and again like I. But there's no citizen here, right? Because okay. this is done on the auspices of of saving people money, right? That is well, the benchmark. That's well, like, the basis. No, Greyhound, like Greyhound can save themselves yeah. money, and they were probably losing money. And again, I think. Losing, almost certainly losing was money. losing money on these routes and they and they eventually gave up on them but i think that this the fact that the that it was allowed to be canceled in this matter with before any sort of government intervention might be able to save it is is deeply problematic uh, but i do well, i they did it quickly yeah I, I do want to get to the algae blooms just because mm-hmm. i've teased it like twice already so yeah okay. let's get to this algae story i just want to say my uh, my boy in regina good old regina boy andy shof has a good song about uh, being isolated in the winter yeah. um, in a rural town called wendell walker Anyway, uh, so an unprecedented amount of algae has bloomed this year in Florida, covering the massive lake Okeechobee and canals as far as 25 miles away and reaching into long nearby rivers. A local resident compared the scent of the algae to molding bread, noting that he was mesmerized by the sight of the golf course colored algae lapping against the shores of the canal. The algae is caused by rain, hot weather, and phosphorus and nitrogen from fertilizers and took less than a month to cover 90% of Florida's largest lake of 730 square miles. A National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration official warned that people should wash the algae from their bodies if they come into contact with it. It does not harm fish, but can be toxic to humans and fatal for dogs. Uncommon volumes of algae have also been found in other places in the U.S. recently, such as the Finger Lakes in New York. Some are worrying that local economies will suffer from loss of tourism and income from the sport fishing industry. Controlling such algae likely already costs states millions of dollars per year. 
Some Florida legislators have asked the governor to declare a state of emergency in Lee County, where Caloosahatchee River has been inundated with algae from the lake. Uh, the head of the nonprofit group Calusa Waterkeeper, John Cassani, who has dealt with the river for over three decades, has never seen anything like this and is now avoiding the river as much as possible for fear of respiratory problems. What's interesting is I, I originally, when I, I, I saw the story, I presumed this was going to be another climate change story. Uh, but it doesn't appear to be specifically. It appears more to have to do with uh, more to have to do with food and the nitrogen cycles, uh, or phosphorus and, and fertilizers, mm -hmm. uh, which it, which really just goes to show you how many different ways we are making life more difficult for us, uh, and also how and it also more specifically how more difficult we are consistently finding ways to make Florida become unlivable. And all the strange esoteric ways in which environmental uh, problems will. A crew. Well, exactly. Yeah, like you know, the the the, the first time that the that the, a, a hurricane hits an algae bloom, and you start having you know you start having flying algae uh, algae which is fatal to dogs. Yes, <laughs> yes, fatal to dogs. Yes, which aerated dog poison yeah. being flung around in hurricanes. Yes, uh, dog owners. Anyone? Any of you own dogs? <laughs> I'm willing to bet at least one or two of the, the people listening own dogs, and and probably a good percentage of the state of Florida. Uh, Can I come back? There yeah. was one. The, sorry, this was just the one really shocking like the single line if there was a single line that made that made my eyebrows go up uh it was this and i, I want to highlight it here i think it's really important uh so the the case here we're talking about it was uh it's about halfway through there and it was that uh less than a month to cover 90 percent of florida's largest lake 730 square miles in less than a month mm -hmm. um so like a lot of the time when we're talking about on the show we're talking about well if we don't do something you know 10 years from now or five years from now or we're experiencing this today but 15 or 20 or 30 years imagine how bad it's going to be um imagine that lake ontario was 90 percent covered in a month and a half it's it's, it's bigger so let's say mm -hmm. three months covered in dog poison that can make people really sick by even coming in contact with it. This is not a joke, people. Mm. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's a... And it will come out of nowhere. That's the point. That's the point I'm trying to raise mm -hmm. is yeah. that like some of this stuff will take decades and will be terrible, but we will acclimatize to it in the same sense of the frog and the boiling water thing. Right. Uh, mm. Some of it will come out of nowhere and kill a bunch of people in a way that you never anticipated. Like it's not, I'm not saying, I wasn't saying that my point was not be terrified of algae. Mm. It was there are so many unpredictable combinations of forces. I hadn't mm. thought of the hurricane thing right but that's one of millions and billions of possible combinations of effects that could turn a disaster out in no time yeah. instantly if i can recommend relatively speaking if i if i can lose the last three minutes to recommend a book uh it's a book called <laughs> american war uh by omar el akkad and it's a fascinating take on uh actually a friend of the show lawrence alvarez from the toronto library uh sent me this book uh with a, with, a, with a note that said uh you know like given all the things that are difficult in this in this world uh like it's good to get your head out of sort of it and so you know, hope this this book i found this book engrossing i hope you enjoy it the book is about a basically post-apocalyptic America. And so I found the note of like, get your head out of sad things. Here's a book about basically like the road. Uh, you know, it was, it was an ironic. But the important way I want to mention it was it basically sets, it sets itself in late 20, I think it's 2080 basically. And the concept is that there's a second civil war based around the North uh, imposing uh, a ban on fossil fuels because of all of the negative impacts of climate change. And in this book, all of Florida is basically already gone. 
it's it's already underwater. And and that's not uh, probably a little earlier than what many people expect to happen, but is not unreasonable that within some time, like Florida is Florida is built on limestone uh, largely. Uh, so the like the Florida is built on very porous rocks, mm. and so like there's not a way to actually really effectively build sort of dams around it because the water can come up from the ground, uh, and and is and is already so susceptible to hurricanes as we've already experienced, as we've experienced multiple times, and and so is is in this place that is already has all these other pieces to it, and. And then, like, to include the fact that you know the nitrogen runoff on from these from these uh, from these from like different farms and stuff and phosphorus and fertilizer runoff is is causing these algae blooms is just like another way that you can't fully understand the different ways and then the way these will all impact and connect to each other. Uh, and and so the I think the the big takeaway on that front is just sort of like keep an eye on all these little things because you don't necessarily know which thing is going to be. Uh, is going to cause a, a true catastrophe, you know. Uh, but the fact that every year we have, like every year, we've had at least one story about how unprecedented algae blooms have shown up in a different part of America. Uh, I think that at some point we should expect that to continue. Uh, we are coming up to the end of the show, though. Yeah. So yeah, that is. Uh, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm afraid it. I was going to tell you a funny anecdote about an, a book that I read, but oh, it's sorry. completely off topic, and we're out of time, <laughs> so I won't try and squeeze it. And we'll be nice to our the next show here on CIUT. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the program, or if you didn't, you can send us an email uh, through the website. Uh, tell us exactly what we got wrong and why. Uh, as Stefan knows, I do respond to all emails, but they are in the same tone that I receive them. So if they're nice, I'm nice. If you're not, I'm not, but I will reply to your email. Send us an email, check out the show, read the show notes that Dave uh, very uh, does a good, great job summarizing and putting together as well uh, at greenmajority.ca. You can check out the show there, the podcast there, any notes there, send us angry or happy emails, anything you like. Greenmajority.ca. Have a good green week, folks, and uh, stay tuned for the next program. We'll see you next week.